0: Welcome to another edition of BartCast, a podcast series curated by Bartimaeus Cooperative Ministries. Learn more at bcm-net.org. OCO, that's hello in my native language. Um, It means not just hello, but a deeper spirit of welcome and hospitality. Um, And It's important for us to speak our native languages, to reclaim our own languages. Um, Our work for native liberation um, connects across all social justice issues and all restorative solidarity work. I thank this conference for um, inviting me and inviting so many of us of Native Heritage to this year and to past years. Um, People of Native Heritage um, need to feel seen, heard, and supported. Uh, Genocide runs deep um, within us, within our bloodlines, within our people. Um, And we celebrate that we are alive today because we have survived genocide. Um, Genocide is about erasure. It's about invisibility. It's about forced assimilation. And I also thank this conference because you all constantly um, are aware of the land um, that you're on, whose land that you're on, and that we're on stolen land. Um, the U.S., we often call it a nation of immigrants, but it's not a nation of immigrants because immigrants ask permission to enter the land of another. And many people have never asked permission to live on native people's lands and live according to the native people's rules and customs. Um, so I thank you for, um, for the work you all do, um, to remember that and to lift that up. And there's so much work you do around um, indigenous rights and the land back movement and working for native liberation. Um, As John shared some of my introduction um, about some of the work that I do, um, I'm also the daughter of an incarcerated um, father who who died of suicide after coming home 10 years ago after his last um, sentence. Um, My dad is of Scottish ancestry. Um, My mother is native. I'm also a queer woman who was raised in the US South in a conservative Southern Baptist tradition and a convert to Catholicism. Today, um, or this evening, depending on what time zone you're in, um, we'll be discussing incarnational engagement with restorative solidarity um, in in and between red, black, and brown communities. And I hope to touch on different pieces around contemplative activism, holy resistance, and evolutionary hope, and what what it's like to live that out. So I thank you for joining me on this journey um, and for engaging in this work together. Um, So as an overview, um, in the next 40 minutes or so, I will be talking about restorative solidarity and contemplative activism, the sacramental value of resistance and protest, characteristics of contemplative activism, stories from the field, from some of my work, um, relationality and connecting that is essential, and how we sustain ourselves in this chaos and in this mystery that we're in. So I always start with uh, contemplation, um, contemplation is what awakens us to a new awareness of the divine indwelling. It is when our own being and the divine being become more and more mysteriously interwoven. It invites us into a direct experience of God. We know that whenever we gather as people in spaces like this or in protest, or where two or more are gathered, um, that, God is there Um, and contemplation invites us into this experience. I didn't learn what contemplation was growing up in church. Um, Honestly, I didn't know what contemplation was until 12 years ago when I started the process of becoming a Catholic nun. The early desert mothers and fathers and monks were practicing contemplation in the early church and contemplation is coming back to our consciousness now. Um, Thomas Keating and the Centering Prayer Movement Um, has been evolving over the past decades. And some of our teachers like Thomas Merton, Evelyn Underhill, Cynthia Bourgeau are are helping to reemerge a contemplative movement. And I think it's contemplation is returning today because there's a hunger for spirituality that makes sense about what we know in our world today about connecting science and spirituality, connecting creation and evolution um, and making religion relevant again. Um, so I think we have to come together, um, we have to understand the spiritual dynamics, um, we have to have a healthy ego, um, this contemplation is for everyone, um, it's not tied to one particular religious tradition, and mysticism is a birthright for every single person. We have often diminished religion into a social construct that just makes us feel better. In the Catholic Church, we often say, you know, we're taught to pray, pay, and obey, um, And contemplation invites us to something deeper, um, but contemplation isn't just therapeutic either. There's a cosmological dimension um, to contemplation and to social justice and restorative solidarity work. It requires that we get uncomfortable for God to bring about the kingdom of God. And I believe that if we don't radically remake religion, we're not going to make it through these next hundred years. Every world religion is currently dying out as we look in churches, mosques, and synagogues across the world. And we're invited to create something deeper. Um, I think this pandemic has uh, invited us to look for more depth and meaning, to make more sense of our world and what the Spirit is inviting us to do into it. Um, Contemplation is A prayer without words, Um, it's an entering into, it's a presence. Um, The prayers that I learned growing up, they were often difficult for me. The words were complex, uh, it was too hard. Um, In contemplation, I get to let go of the words and just enter into this presence. And by entering into that presence, um, that's how we can awaken um, into a deeper unity, unification with the creator. It's a more free experience where we enter into the presence of the divine and enter into a deep stillness and quiet the mind. Um, I think contemplative practices um, help us through this difficult time. Um, They help us to align with love, um, to engage differences. And we're called to set these intentions, um, to be open to the divine energy within us and to continue to cultivate that. I start by talking about contemplation because it's the foundation for everything. Um, A lot of our justice work, a lot of our solidarity work falls flat if it doesn't come from a deeper place. If we're out there screaming and yelling at protests in the same way um, that those who have different values from us are, what is the meaning in that? Where's the depth in it? Um, How are we helping to evolve humanity into this next stage of of evolutionary consciousness and what is the energy that we want to cultivate and send out, and contemplation is a is a prerequisite for that. Um, so um again, prayer, contemplation, and engaging in solidarity, building and justice work, it isn't therapeutic, it's not just something to make us feel better. Um, and sacred activism is more than just meditating in the morning and going out to protest or serve a meal to the hungry. Activism is a sacred path in and of itself, uh, when we find God and the spirit in that, and it calls us to bring our unique gifts of healing to a hurting world. And there is this cosmological dimension that goes beyond words um, in our social justice work, where we alchemize with each other and we bring each other to a higher energy. And I think by engaging with people who are different from us, especially um, our, our relatives, our, friends, our colleagues in red, black, and brown communities. um, There's that alchemization process accelerates at a different rate when we're able to do that. Um, It does require that we engage with the chaos and mystery of this time. And contemplation is this deep engagement with the world. It's like Jesus's encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well, where we can only learn through diversity, um, what it means to be whole, and what it means to be living into our wholeness uh to living into the fullness of our humanity every christmas i always think about how much we diminish jesus into this um (laughs) um into this person that was um not so human and uh just thinking about yeah human uh jesus had these human desires attractions addictions energies like if how do we make jesus more and more fully human in all things and also um as Jesus engaged in the political divisions of his time, I think about the political divisions of our time and how do we interact with the fullness of our humanity and try to see the fullness of the humanity and other people in this time. And I think we do it through love. Um, if love is not at the heart of our work, we have to do a self reevaluation. Uh, we have to connect on the lines of humanity for the values that we all share. Um, even those who cause violence and harm to other people. And I believe that most people do share these same values at the core of their being, of of love, of peace, of compassion, of forgiveness, and of hope. So three things that help me to deepen these realities when I engage in acts to help me find God in all things are intention, attention, and repetition. So that's in setting the intention to be open to the divine energy within us, This means aligning ourselves with divine mystery and divine love. And this is how we enter into the next stage of evolutionary consciousness. Um, The next stage is attention. So what we give our attention to reflects our values, and it also shifts our consciousness. And the last is repetition. So prayer cultivates and sends positive energy out into the world. It is our way of being in relationship with God or the divine and with each other. And we know that these energy fields forever change when we cultivate and send that energy out. So we repeat it over and over again and the ways that we have learned and the ways that we are learning to deepen and grow in relationship and to create this world that we want to see. Um, I've been thinking a lot this past year about the sacramental value of resistance and protest. Um, this picture here is of the Black Indians of New Orleans who usually come out on Mardi Gras morning, which would be this coming Tuesday. Um, and who are not masking, who have chosen to take the high road and are um, have what we call bow down, have bowed down for the, for the common good um, and will not be coming to the streets because it will make people gather. Um, but they pay tribute to the Native Americans that helped the runaway slaves in New Orleans. And they have helped to teach me these connections between resistance and sacrament. And so sacraments are where God is present and made manifest and sacraments require a physical component, an incarnation of an act or an action. And while these traditionally in our our religions are of the rites of baptism, Eucharist, penance, our relationship with God deepens the more places we find God. And so finding God in these spaces of resistance and in protest and to have encounters with the divine through others and with others in unexpected ways. Our God is a God of surprises who um, constantly surprises us (laughs) manifesting in various ways if only our eyes can see and our ears can hear it. Many Christians consider the sacraments to be a visible symbol of the reality of God, as well as a channel for God's grace. And from the protest of Black Lives Matter movement to political engagement, such as voting to elect officials who can make decisions to move us more towards creating a world where all can be done on earth as it is in heaven, um, we can be this channel for God's grace. we start with the sacrament of reconciliation, which is just telling the truth and starting there. So acknowledging that we are racist people, we are on stolen land, wherever it is, beginning with that confession. Um, And these uh, resistance acts and protests are visible sign of the reality of God in the world um, and transform our consciousness to evolve new realities that are aligned with divine mystery and divine love. Uh, so some questions to ponder that I'll put in the chat later before um, some of you go into small breakout rooms um, is, you know, how do we imagine this world that doesn't yet exist? And if all oppression has been created by us, then we as humans can uncreate this oppression. So how do we deconstruct all the isms, the racism, the sexism, colonialism, imperialism, capitalism, Uh, What are our theories of social change? To whom am I accountable? And what is their theory of social change? Is there alignment there? And how are the tactics that I'm employing working towards realizing our theory or theories of social change? Uh, My theory of social change is that sustainable social change occurs when um, we as directly impacted individuals take collective action, lead our own struggles and gain power to change the conditions of oppression. Um, and I say um, my own struggles because as a, as a daughter of an incarcerated dad working towards um, police, prison, and carceral system abolition, and as a Native person, as a woman, as a Southerner, um, working to change these conditions and working to build power and shift power with others to um, change these conditions. So I invite you to think about what your theory of change is and how you live it out, who you're accountable to and um, the people that you're accountable to, what is their theory of change? So I wanna transition into some characteristics of contemplative activists who embody restorative solidarity. Um, And then I'll share some examples of how I've seen um, different movements and people live out these characteristics. Um, So one is grounded in spiritual practices. Um, Two is honoring our ancestors and those who came before us, our elders, our mentors, our teachers, um, as we did in um, this past hour, cultivating an inner life, practicing restorative justice in our personal and professional lives. So it's not just a, a theory that we idealize and put on a pedestal towards living towards, but when I have my own conflict, or even before I have a conflict, I have a new housemate moving in, we might have conflict. Let's do a restorative circle before something escalates. Um, Let's do a mediation session. So incorporating that into our personal and professional lives on a daily basis, building solidarity with people who differ from us, decolonizing our lives and the systems that perpetuate colonized behaviors and mentalities, deep listening, a willingness to build power and challenge power, Following the leadership from those is those closest to the pain or the problem. In any movement, those who are closest to the pain are closest to the solutions. People know what they need for their own liberation and we have to support them in moving towards that and asking them what they need and finding ways to support them if it's not, if we're not one closest to the pain. Uh, genuine relationship building, cultivating community, Having an ever evolving and deepening of our political analysis, our values and language, taking risk, holding on to hope, and working to liberate ourselves and others. And I'll put these in the chat at the end as well in case you want to talk about any of them in your small group. So moving into some of the movements I've worked with that have embodied these, um, these are the Mardi Gras Indian chiefs of New Orleans. Um, Some of them, there's about um, 30 Black Indian um, tribes in New Orleans. These are people of um, African heritage and native heritage who pay tribute to the native Americans that helped the runaway slaves nearly 300 years ago um, in the Mississippi River Delta and Gulf South of the United States or Turtle Island. So these, Every year they create um, these large suits um, that weigh hundreds of pounds um, that are hand sewn, a new suit every year um, to pay tribute to the, to the natives that help the runaway slaves, people who were enslaved. Um, there's a 300 year history of brutality um, by government, um, by the police of New Orleans on the Mardi Gras Indians. Um this picture you see here was in City Council Chambers in 2005 and at the podium speaking is Big Chief Tootie Montana he was known as the chief of all chiefs and he was there at the podium talking about police brutality that happened on the Indians earlier um, that year on what we call St. Joseph's Night. So St. Joseph's Night is a feast of St. Joseph, a Catholic holiday usually celebrated by Sicilians and Italian folks in New Orleans, but the Italians were working class people in New Orleans and they had that day where they could um, parade without a permit on St. Joseph's Day. And so since black people in New Orleans weren't allowed to participate in carnival or Mardi Gras, They took on the Italian holiday of St. Joseph's Day so they could parade without a permit and practice their tradition and pay tribute to the Native Americans that helped their ancestors. And um, and it's an act of resistance when they they mask and take to the streets and take over public space like this. Um, And on this day in 2005, Chief Tutti was talking about the police brutality, and he said the words, this must end, and he had a heart attack and he died in city council chambers. Um, Only last year, nearly 15 years later, were we able to get a plaque in City Hall, remembering him, and the struggle um, around ending police brutality and cultural rights preservation in New Orleans. Um, This is a standoff between some of the New Orleans Police Department and a Mardi Gras Indian masking on the streets. Um, And it was the Mardi Gras Indians, the Black Indians of New Orleans, who helped me uh, grow in a willingness to challenge power structures, uh, to be creative in movement lawyering and think about how I can use the the power and privilege that I have um, to support their movement for liberation um, and to end um, 300 years of police brutality. I facilitated a restorative circle, um, called it a circle of the chiefs um, with all the the police chiefs, the New Orleans Police Department chiefs and the black Indian chiefs. And we came up with 10 agreements of what policing would look like at their events, um, at their sacred ritual processions in New Orleans. And we compared what they do to Good Friday in our Catholic tradition, where we can have processions in the streets without permits um, and process all day long in our sacred practice. And by comparing it to First Amendment rights, freedom of expression, freedom of religion, we're able to um, end these 300 years of police brutality. And it's been peaceful ever since um, for the past um, 10 years. This is me with Captain Barty of the Sixth District Police Station and uh, the black hat there, um, Big Chief Howard Miller of the Creole Wild West. And on the top with Bertrand Butler, who's the president of the New Orleans Mardi Gras Indian Council. And they all taught me that deep relationships and listening are essential to movement building. This is what some of the gatherings look like now, um, where thousands of people gather to continue this sacred tradition on the public streets of New Orleans. Um, They also taught me, along with the um, Freedmen's AIDS Association or Social Aid and Pleasure Clubs that have second line parades in New Orleans, um, that we have to believe in building people-powered movements led by directly impacted people. Um, and it's been a privilege to support um, these movements um, for the past 15 years here in New Orleans um, there's also been um, a lot of solidarity building between our native and black communities in New Orleans to challenge oil and gas corporations in the in the Gulf South um, there's a lot of organizing efforts um, led by um, these organizations and movements um, so this is a map of the this country we're in and you can see in Louisiana on the bottom there all of the oil and gas pipelines um, running through the land here. These are um, red dots of all the oil and gas drilling platforms. It's the highest concentration of oil and gas um, platforms in the world more so than in the Niger River Delta um, in Africa. Um, It's uh, like a, a big constellation map and it's causing saltwater intrusion into our wetlands. As you can see these very not normal lines that are causing the salt water from the Gulf of Mexico to come into our rivers and bayous um, and taking away our land in South Louisiana. Um, And this is a long history. This is a map of the plantations um, along the Mississippi River Delta, which are now um, where a lot of the oil and gas pipelines are. The same um, blue blood money that comes from these plantations are now running the oil and gas um, plantations pipelines and um, use a lot of inmate labor or slave labor. The 13th Amendment didn't abolish slavery. It just said um, slavery is legal as long as you're convicted of a crime. Doesn't mean you did the crime. You just have to be convicted of the crime. And um, it's, it's created what we call Cancer Alley. These are all of the petrochemicals um, that are released into our, our soil, our air, and our water um, along the Mississippi River um, from New Orleans to Baton Rouge. And so it's new chemicals that are coming into our, our ecosystem. Um, People are getting sick and dying. Um, This is a little town called Norco, Louisiana, where you have a kid's baseball field and an elementary school right next to this petrochemical plant, breathing in um, all of these um, petrochemicals. Um, These are gas flares, right? In residential neighborhoods, mostly um, lived in by native and black people in Louisiana. Along with the pollution, there's also a lot of petrochemical industry accidents um, and violations of EPA standards. The Louisiana Bucket Brigade distributes these buckets where residents can collect their own um, air and water and soil samples to send into the EPA to report violations. Um, And oftentimes, whenever the oil and gas industries um, have uh, an accident, they use prison labor um, of people who are currently incarcerated or enslaved um, to clean it up. Um, putting their lives at risk and getting paid two cents an hour the same rate they get paid to pick cotton at Angola prison. Um, So that's one example of black, brown, indigenous um, uh, solidarity um, work um, and also working a lot with the United Homa Nation, Rye St. James and different groups that are uh, leading this movement um, to hold uh, these corporations accountable. A lot of my movement training um, came from the School of the Americas Watch. Some of you are familiar with this movement in Fort Benning, Georgia, um, uh, founded by Father Roy Bourgeois and a number of others to remember the um, many Catholic um, martyrs and um, thousands of people who were killed at the hands of paramilitaries and dictators that were trained at the School of the Americas by U.S. tax dollars um, at Fort Benning in Georgia. It was the large world's largest annual protests spanning decades, Um, still happening, but on a much smaller scale now. Um, But this is where I learned how to do a lot of movement support and trained a lot of um, law students and lawyers and organizers in uh, direct action and uh, civil disobedience, nonviolent training and movement lawyering. This was another movement that taught me a lot about contemplative activism was the movement to save our church, St. Augustine. St. Augustine was the first black Catholic church in the United States. Um, It was a Native American burial ground and a slave burial ground. Um, The cross here on the right here is the tomb of the unknown slave to remember all the slaves that were buried here. Um, And in 2005, after we lost our physical homes during Hurricane Katrina, um, we had a very racist archbishop who set our church parish to close so people were going to lose their spiritual home. So we occupied the rectory for a month. Um, we refused to leave. We changed the doors, locks, and boarded up the windows um, so the property managers from the archdiocese couldn't come in and the archbishop couldn't come in. <laughs> we held a 24-7 vigil of the, um, of the, rec- of the sanctuary um, until we were able to keep the parish open. But this was the, um, the first um, Black church in the United States, the first integrated church where slaves and free people of color and white people all worshipped under the same roof. The Church of Homer Plessy from Plessy versus Ferguson and a lot of other civil rights leaders. Um, the first order of Black nuns, the Sisters of the Holy Family, were founded here and has been an act of um, spiritual um, you know, contemplation and spiritual resistance, I think redefining what we mean when we say contemplation and what the various forms it can look like um, that aren't just sitting on a meditation cushion in silence. Um, I know I'm I'm running up on time here, so I'm going to go a little um, quicker through these, but a lot of learned a lot through supporting the movement for Black Lives. Um, This was um, after Alton Sterling was murdered in Baton Rouge, um, Training um, hundreds of of law students and how to monitor and document um, police misconduct and preparing for litigation against um, law enforcement and. um, Over the years have trained more than 1500 movement lawyers and law students and how to do movement support taking the lead from system impacted people and from Community organizers and and knowing how and when to take risks, this was a time when I walked in between. um, hundreds of, of. Police in riot gear um, with AK-47s, and hundreds of protesters on the other side who had been forced onto a neighbor's front porch, uh, and in her house and in her yard. Um, and when I walked down this alley of the street um, to 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 mediate, I was called in to mediate. Um, had all the officers um, came and pointed their weapons right at me. Um, and so, knowing when to when and how to take risk and to um, to think, you know, intentionally about how and when our role is. <laughs> um, I knew that if I went to the actual protest, I would probably be pushed onto the ground there, <laughs> and I could be of no use to anyone. Um, but entering the way that I did, and um, also trying, you know, using my own um, privilege and power, being aware of it and how to um, have conversation with the police. Um, While it didn't end non-violently, there was no bloodshed and no one died. Um, Another example is the case of the 504 Queens. 504 is our area code in New Orleans. And these were 30 black grandmothers who were were watching the movie Harriet Tubman. Many of you may have seen the movie Harriet when it was in theaters um, a couple years ago. And they went to go see the movie Harriet, uh, and bought their tickets in advance. And two hours into the movie, three white workers came and told them they had to leave the theater, that they didn't have proper tickets. Um, And they did have proper tickets. Um, Two hours into the movie, the white workers turned, they tried to start physical altercations with these grandmothers and uh, turned the lights on two hours into Harriet and uh, made the women leave the theater. Um, The women called me and I said, well, racism sucks like I'm sorry I don't know what to do like it's everywhere this stuff happens all the time and not knowing what um what I could actually do I'm like I do civil rights litigation I know about police accountability I know um you know about you know prison abolition um but I've never done any what am I going to do against AMC theaters (laughs) and um I called my a mentor of mine he said Allison just ask them what they want And so I said, all right, y'all come over and I'll cook some food. And we sat at my kitchen table and I put up the butcher block paper and I said, what does justice look like for you? And we brainstormed these 10 demands um, that they wanted um, for what happened to them and put together a demand letter and we got all of it plus some more. So we got 20,000 free tickets for all of the, all the students in the area to go see Harriet Tubman for free. Um, we, got, um, we got all the donations from their Black Friday ticket sales donated to the 504 Queens for holiday meals they wanted to give people. We got mandatory anti-racism training and anti-oppression training for the hundreds of AMC theater staff. We got a written apology letter um, that was made public um we had 200 um free movie tickets for them to take the black girls they mentor to the movies throughout the year we got a change in amc's practices and policies and supervision um and additional customer service training and we got the three white workers fired in mental health money for all of the women who were impacted um and so I think it was just a, an invitation to take risks to like, when you think you can't do something, <laughs> just ask what people want. It's a very simple thing. What does justice look like here? And um, we limit our own creativity. And so to to not limit our creativity and for ask for what, what the people want, um, this was another movement. Um, uh, Louisiana was the only state where you can be wrongfully convicted by a non-unanimous jury and get life without parole in prison and was a campaign I led um, a couple years ago um, to overturn a Jim Crow law that was 138 years old that um, also led us to have the highest wrongful incarceration rate in the country. And it was the largest um, ballot initiative our state had ever had. And we organized with only eight weeks of notice after it passed through the legislature. (laughs) So I started the campaign as a statewide campaign manager with just a title and no money. And we ended up building up a staff statewide of 600 people, 600 door knockers, um, mostly all paid public housing residents to go and door knock and get out the vote. And in a red state like Louisiana, we got 67% of the vote to overturn a Jim Crow law we're now working on the retroactivity of that law. Um, So this was our yes on two campaign. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about cultivating community here, um, but I want to close this section with this quote from St. Augustine um, that hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage, anger at the way things are and the courage to see that they do not remain the way that they are. And these guys on death row that I've been visiting for 16 years have taught me so much about hope and holding on to hope. Um, in the face of anger and really having the courage to change things. So again, these are the characteristics from some of these movements and activists that I think really embody restorative solidarity and what that looks like. Um, I'm going to close with a little bit about relationality and connecting. Um, the only way for us to grow into our full humanity, our full personhood, is through relationality. We grow into God, into spirit through growing in community. One of my mentors, Sister Helen Prejean, said, you can never have too much community, Allison. Don't let the nuns be your only community. <laughs> Keep getting more and more community. Another mentor, Bill Quigley, said, you know, there's no solo justice act. Everything is done in community. Um, one of my, fa- my favorite theologians, Sister Elia Delio, a Franciscan sister, said, um, we are made for each other. We move towards a relationship. We grow into God through growing, growing in community. The divine person is not the super soul person, but the most relational person for whom God is shining through. And Reverend Cynthia Bourgeau said that we must trust in interdependence, that a healthy person knows that they belong to a relational field. The only way to grow into personhood is through relationality. And so I don't think that this pandemic is the invasive species among us. I think we are the invasive species to ourselves and we have destabilized our whole ecosystem of relationality by seeing our disconnects, by um, seeing each other as an other, um, and by not seeing our connection to to creation, um, to the ecosystems um, and to each other. And so I think it's a real invitation to grow into our oneness. Around relationality, our social movements and social change um, are deeply dependent on relationality because movements grow at the speed of trust and trust is earned through the integrity of our actions. We can never expect or assume trust and we have to be aware of our power and privileges in all the ways as we grow into um, relationality and do movement work. And knowing when to play big and when to play small, I played the art of Capoeira. It's a Brazilian martial arts and dance Um, for about 15 years. I'm by far not that flexible anymore, but it really taught me the dance is in a circle. And sometimes you play big um, with large acrobatics and cartwheels and backflips. And sometimes you play very small and close to each other in a very intimate way. And it's a great metaphor for social change and movements. And the dance itself, it was an act of resistance by um, Brazilian People who were enslaved. And so we um, learn and practice effective ways to courageously address issues before and after they arise. Um, another way of building deep relationships, we make and we keep our commitments, we follow through, and we always have to be more concerned about what is right rather than being right. And I want to close by this article, uh, this quote by Aboriginal activists. If you come to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you've come because your liberation is bound with mine, then let us work together. And to remember the spiritual practices that sustain us and I'll drop in the in the chat um, a link to this list of practices, Um, but I think think about you know what really sustains you in this work. Um, And what are what are the practices, Uh, these are some of mine and each of you have your own, Um, and so if you want to drop in the chat here some of your own, um, I invite you to do that and. And I'll put a link to to mine and, you know, feel free to make your own list. But I call it, you know, my spiritual medicine cabinet. When I feel like God isn't speaking to me and my prayer life is really dry, this is what I go to. (laughs) You're like, oh, yeah, I haven't done that. I haven't just walked at night in the dark and gazed at the stars in awe of the creator in a long time. Let me do that. Um, So I invite you to think about your own spiritual medicine cabinet and what you need. Um, to sustain yourself in um, this work of restorative solidarity and social justice work. So some questions that I'll drop in the chat to take the small groups. Um, What are your spiritual practices? Uh, What sustains you in your sacred activism and restorative solidarity work? How do we imagine this world that doesn't yet exist? How do we give ourselves the freedom to dream, the, the freedom to create with each other? Um, that all oppression has been created and so can be unc- uncreated? How are we deconstructing all these isms? What is your theory of change, who you're accountable to? What is their theory of change? And are the tactics that you're employing working towards of realizing our theory of social change? And then of these characteristics of contemplative activists, um, what do you feel more to, um, which of these do you feel called to cultivate more of right now? And then this tree exercise I'll leave you with, too, of the roots of the tree. This is the tree of life in New Orleans um, along the Mississippi River. Um, But the roots of the tree, who are the people and what are the spiritual practices that keep you grounded? What are your guiding principles and values? What's in the trunk of your tree? And what are the outcomes you want to see in the world as a result of your actions? What are your tree branches? You have been listening to the BARTCAST, produced by Bartimaeus Cooperative Ministries. To find our resources or to donate to support the BARTCAST, please go to chedmyers.org. Thank you for listening.